Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gavriel Hakohen. My friends call me Gavi. So let's be friends. Call me Gavi. I'm here with my BFF and co-host, oh. Sadie Carpenter, the Hi. IFB cult survivor. <laughs> the reason why you're all here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. My friends just call me Sadie. <laughs> Except for my baby, who calls me dad, actually. <laughs> Oh, well, both, both of us are. So both, both parents are mama and dada. She hasn't really put together yet that there's a difference. I think she knows. I think she just thinks it's funny. You know what? Knowing her, that seems accurate. She does have a little sense of humor, doesn't she? She absolutely does. Uh, what are we talking about today? Do you want to introduce our topic? Yeah. So today we are continuing our how to series and we're going to talk uh about how to get into the world of drinking if that's something drinking alcohol if that's something that you're interested in and it's going to be a little bit of a primer maybe for people who are new to this but we're also going to have a good time just talk about some of our favorite drinks and tell some stories pretty it's going to be pretty lighthearted i think oh and i'm going to explain why the fundamentalists don't drink which is long awaited I'm really excited for this because Sadie's told me about it several times, but never in a way that makes any sense to me. Yeah. So we are going to get into the world of alcohol, uh, maybe some pitfalls to avoid. So in general, uh, we do talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to 
suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics. What we try to do is avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story we're telling. And if it is relevant to the story and we're going to include some details, we will give you a heads up before we give you those details. This episode, it's all about alcohol and drinking. We're going to be focusing on responsible drinking and safety, recognizing problems and issues, and we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about how to order drinks at a bar and what some common drinks are and what we enjoy drinking. We're keeping it fairly light, but if there's any reason at all that this episode is not going to be a good thing for you to hear today or not going to be a good thing for you to hear at all, that is absolutely okay, and we hope to see you back next time. Yes, 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 yes. But before we get into all that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the IFB. As it is known, we talk about this cult. We talk about other cults, including, uh, you know, Quiverful, ATI, uh, 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 IBLP, things of that nature. We talked about the Branch Davidians earlier this year, but we talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there's a couple of things that you can do. You can join our Patreon which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. And you will get access to extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes and uh, writings by Sadie, including what an actual cult survivor thinks of the handmaid's tale. Uh, very interesting read. Highly recommend it. You can also join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus is there anything else that i'm missing before we get right into this i think we can thank our faith promise missions tier patrons and jump in yes we have to thank our faith promise missions tier patrons but also before i thank our faith promise missions tier patrons i have to thank our one and only i gave it all tier patron uh, uh melissa thank you so much for joining uh, the I Gave It All tier of our Patreon. For those that don't know, I have am in the process of making a supercut of all of the things that are just too... Uh, I, I don't know how to... All, all the things that we would absolutely not even let our patrons listen to. Uh, of, of us say, like, I don't even know what to... I've been listening to some of it. It's... it's <laughs> There are off-the-wall off rabbit trails and really bad hot takes, and there's, oh my goodness. It's a combination of uh, posting and leaving Eden after dark. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that, but apparently I'm wrong. Apparently somebody has uh, agreed to join our I Gave It All to Your Patreon. Uh, Melissa, thank you for joining our I Gave It All to Your Patreon. Uh, you are one of, uh, you, uh, among the greatest humans to ever live. I won't put you like greatest of all time. I'll put you like top tier humans. Top tier. Top tier up there with, uh, uh, I don't know, who, who's who's a great human? 
Um, I don't know. Most of the great humans I know about have some real shady stuff going on. Well, nobody's perfect. Because I was thinking Gandhi, but Gandhi's got some real interpersonal issues. Sure. I mean, that's true. I feel like that really disqualifies him from being one of the greatest humans of all time. No, I'll I'll put you up there with like Albert Einstein. Everybody likes Einstein. That's true. He's he's not perfect. He seems like he was a pretty stand up guy. Yeah, great, great guy. So, uh, Melissa, uh, you've joined our I Gave It All tier of our Patreon, and you are as cool as Albert Einstein. That's uh, what I will say on the record. Um, but for all the people who are also really cool, the the, the Faith Promise Missions tier of our Patreon, um, that is, we have Alex Todd, we have Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tolly, Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen. Oh, and this is, uh, I, I got an a email uh, from Jen saying, I've been mispronouncing your name for so long and I feel horrible about it, but it's Jen Kaharski, not Kacharski. It's a, it's, it's a, 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 a I, I apologize deeply for mispronouncing your name for so, 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 so long. Um, Anyway, we've got Jessica Tambo, Kate Wee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Gross, a new one. Wow. Thank you so much. Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Pimp Daddy Mo Sadie's Ho. I, I swear, every time I say that, it just like everybody. You can all change your names on Patreon, and then I have to read whatever it is that you say. Which is I this guess something is, we want to encourage? <laughs> I mean, Morgan's done it, so like I think they know about it. But Rachel Bernadowitz, uh, Rebecca Hoyt, uh, Reverend Robert Stutes, uh, uh, the, the Methodist uh, uh, Reverend. Uh, thank you so much. We have Sarah Reese. Uh, we have Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson. We have Susie. Thank you so much, Susie. I just re- uh, realized from I got a message from you today saying I hadn't been saying your name for some reason. It wasn't showing up, but I checked, and you're you're here. And um, it's I, I feel so horrible about uh, 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 missing you as well. We have uh, Tiffany Enderby, and we have Walnut Walnutson. Um, Walnut, son of Walnut, which is cool. Uh, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much, Wes the Cowboy. So well, many amazing people here. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. And welcome to the club for the new Faith Promise Missions patrons. We're so happy to have you. I'm excited to meet Walnut, son of Walnut. Maybe Seems at our like next um, Faith Promise Missions tier hangout, we will get to meet them. Yeah. Sadie. Yes. So here's the question I've been dying to ask you on the podcast for literally years, literally two years now. Wow. Okay. Why don't the fundies drink? Jesus drank wine. Why don't the fundies drink? Okay. Let's let's get into this. So the fundamentalist reasoning for not drinking of course, is related to biblical literalism, but it comes down to a few Bible verses. Cool. I think when we talk about biblical literalism, what we've learned is that it tends to be 
applying a couple verses extremely literally to a concept and then using all the other verses that could potentially be applied to that concept as like backup. It it almost always comes down to just a couple phrases or words or verses. I'm going to read you a couple of the verses that are the main verses that fundies use to justify their belief that they should not ever drink alcohol at all. The first one is Proverbs 21, which says, Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 31.4 says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Verse 5, Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Verse 6, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Verse 7, Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Uh, two, two more, one more passage, one more standalone verse. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And those are all King James, in case you can't tell by the fact that I tripped over a lot of words in those verses. There are other verses that are used, but those are the four passages that I feel like I heard the most often growing up. So in the first verse that you quoted, they said strong drink. Mm -hmm. That's right. That is strong drink. So Keystone Light's okay. So that is one good point (laughs) that uh, (laughs) counters the fundamentalist understanding of this. Also in the new in the two New Testament passages, so uh, the Galatians and Ephesians that I read, it's clearly and specifically condemning drunkenness. So I think a valid interpretation of that would be, well, don't get blackout drunk ever and don't have a habit of getting extremely intoxicated. And honestly, just for me personally, I'm very happy to abide by that interpretation even without like digging any deeper into like, is this actually a commandment? What's the actual meaning? What was the culture around this? Even without examining this any further, I'm good with never being blackout drunk. And I'm good with never being rarely ever being heavily intoxicated. It also says that it's, it's fine to drink if you're sad or you're about to die. Yeah. Uh, so the fundamentalist explanation of that, I should explain that. The fundamentalist explanation of that is that at the time, wine was used as a medicine. So it, it, it no longer applies to us because wine is not or alcohol is not a medicine anymore. So Vicodin is basically like the... So the, that's fine, but not you can't use alcohol for that purpose because now we have more modern medicines for that purpose. It also... Okay, but it, also, it says uh, you shall not drink wine, but be filled with the spirit. So, like, tequila, vodka, that's okay, but wine isn't okay. It's the Holy Spirit, got me. Oh, okay. And and that does bring up an important fundamentalist point about not drinking. That verse, be not drunk with wine wherein wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The fundamentalist interpretation is that you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you have any alcohol in your system. 
So a big part of fundamentalist life is trying to live in the Holy Spirit and be consistently filled with the Holy Spirit, because you can be filled with the Holy Spirit just like you can be possessed by an evil spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a lot harder to get. Like an evil spirit, (laughs) you can just, you know, somebody played pop music around you and it got in your ears. Um, (laughs) But the Holy Spirit, you actually have to try to be filled with. If that was just reversed, I feel like being a fundy would be so much easier. If you have been working and working and working to become filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you take one drink of alcohol, well, now the Holy Spirit's left the building. And then you got to do all that work again to like try to get the Holy Spirit back. Hmm. So that's another reason that they use to justify the belief that they should never drink, even if they're not getting drunk or they should not drink at all. And, th- and that, that Proverbs verse, though, that seems like it's specifically pointed at kings and princes. But right. like, we're not kings and princes, are we? You're going to love this one. <laughs> um, so, number one, in Fundy World, we are all children of God, and God is the king of everything. So, we are all princes and princesses, because we are all the children of the king. Mm. Also, this can be directly applied to everybody, because remember in the Proverbs 31 Mother's Day episode, we talked about if this is a biblical command to someone, it is probably a command for you too, especially if a commandment was given to an admirable character, it is probably also a commandment for you. So if it's a commandment for Solomon, it's for you too, because just like Solomon was the son of a king, you are the son of the king of kings. So it's also about you. Uh, I do want to point out that if you look at what the verse actually says, it does have a really reasonable application because um, it's the, I think that's the verse five. Yeah. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So I think the very reasonable application is don't drink on the job if it could affect other people's well-being or if it could affect justice being served, which seems like pretty good advice. That's very reasonable. If you were a judge, please do not drink on the job. (laughs) If the safety of other people could be at stake if you choose to drink at work, please don't drink at work. If there's any way that it could be harmful to someone else for you to do that, please don't do it. I do want to point out that also, in my view, the book of Proverbs isn't a book of commandments. And it's definitely not a book of commandments for Christians. It is a very wise book of good advice. I implement a ton of stuff from Proverbs in my day-to-day life. So how, how does this belief that uh, alcohol is bad square with the famous story of Jesus turning water into wine? Okay, so moving into more New Testament talk, the IFB view and the view of a lot of Christians is that Jesus turned the water into non-alcoholic grape juice or possibly wine that was such a low ABV that it couldn't possibly get anybody drunk. He's non-alcoholic. Yes. Or like very, like 2% alcohol. And people were celebrating this miracle. Yes. Jesus is showing up to the party with a sixer of O'Doul's. Yes. (laughs) Which doesn't seem Jesus-y to me. (laughs) Yeah, because that's a way to not get invited to the party again. Yeah, and Jesus was pretty good about like getting invited to stuff. So, okay, what if I just read you the passage? Because I'm pretty sure you've never read this because it's in the New Testament. Um, Let me just read it to you, and then I'll explain what I was taught about it. How does that sound? Please please do it. So, I'm reading... 
John chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. And I am sticking with King James, um, number one, because there's no copyright on the King James. Um, <laughs> number two, because it's what the fundies use. And I, you know, I want, if I'm going to explain their beliefs, I'll explain them in their own words. So verse two. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water, par- water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worst. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. So here's the explanation bringing that into more modern English. Jesus and his mother Mary were a, were guests at a wedding. The wedding feast was serving alcoholic wine, and they ran out of wine. This is like mega embarrassing because at this point in time, culturally, Wedding feasts went on potentially for days, and there was a huge cultural expectation to provide for your guests for that amount of time. Uh, and this, just based on the way that this particular wedding is talked about, it seems like this was a wedding of a rich person, and they would have been expected to feed and give drinks to their guests for, like, multiple days. So they ran out of wine. It's hugely embarrassing. Mary the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and he, and she says, hey, can you help these people out? Can you save their reputation? Because she knew that he was the son of God and she knew that he had the power to potentially help here. The house where the wedding was being held had six huge water vessels. And if you look this up, we're talking about many gallons in each of these six vessels. Like they could have been like 20 to 40 gallons a piece, huge water pots. Jesus told the servants to fill up the water all the way to the top. And the way that we're taught it in the IFB, the faith of the servants to obey his command was essential to the performing of this miracle. Just a IFB tidbit there, I guess. Jesus turned the water into wine and the servants took some of the wine to the governor of the feast to see if it would be good enough to serve to all the guests. The governor of the feast said to the groom, what a shame, the poor groom's bride. Sorry, sorry. Mm-mm. The governor of the feast said to the groom, usually what we do is we let people drink the good wine first. And then when they get a little bit drunk, we put out the two buck chuck and people won't notice the difference. Like They won't notice that the quality has gone down because they're drunk. Why did you do this in reverse? Why do you, Why are you serving better quality wine now than you did at the beginning of this feast? So the governor is saying... Uh, this wine is better quality than the wine that we were drinking at the beginning. So where does the non-alcoholic grape juice come into play here? So the IFB say that the Greek word that's translated as wine in this passage can also be used to mean not yet fermented fermented grape juice. As far as I can tell, <laughs> this is possibly true. I've seen... I've seen people like independent scholars who are not fundamentalists 
say that this word can be translated to mean any grape product, like anything that is made from the, the juice of a grape. Uh, I've seen independent people who are not fundamentalists say, yeah, absolutely not. This word means alcohol. So Greek is a dead language or like like biblical Greek. I think Koine Greek is what it was. We don't really know. Either way, the IFB say, well, it's possible for this word to be translated and mean unfermented grape juice. And the governor of the feast mm-hmm. thought it was, quote unquote, better because it wasn't fermented. So it tasted sweeter and better. What? That's the belief. Mm. Because so there's a this belief is backed up by another Proverbs verse that I didn't read you. There's a verse in Proverbs that talks about it being a sin to give alcohol to someone else. So this is a huge fundy belief because not only will fundamentalists um, or independent fundamental Baptists not drink alcohol, they also will not serve it to someone else. So it is completely against their rules to be a bartender or even to be a server at a restaurant that serves alcohol because even like if a bartender makes a drink and you take it to your customers at your table, that is you are giving someone alcohol and that is cursed in the book of Proverbs. You are inviting a curse from God on yourself and your family if you serve alcohol to someone else. This one actually, so this might be interesting. This one stuck with me to the point that even in my grown-up life, if someone asks me, like, hey, can you go get me a beer out of the fridge? That's a little bit difficult for me. But you were a bartender for a bit. Yeah, I got over it. (laughs) (laughs) Man. I I got over it um, partially because I made really good money bartending. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, like, no, like, I did shake it off eventually. Uh, But early adult life, this was was a little bit tough. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can imagine. So... So, because of the Proverbs verse that says you are cursed and it's a sin to give alcohol to another person. Wait, what, what, what's the wording on that? Because that is... I couldn't find it. I can see if I can find it. Please do, because that's... That, that, what? That's... Hmm. Because, like, I, I, that, that seems like you can't give alcohol. That's like a sign of hospitality. Okay, so I found one in Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I don't remember how to pronounce that, which is really crazy. Um, I can't find the one that I cannot find the one that I'm looking for in Proverbs, which is now driving me crazy. I'm even like on IFB websites looking for the verse in Proverbs. I found a John R. Rice article. Ew. He was very racist. So I found one, I found the one in Habakkuk, and maybe that was just the one I was thinking of. Um, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk. So that seems like that's saying don't pressure people into drinking if they don't want to. I mean, the end of that verse, it's woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink that put his, damn it, I lost the King James. (laughs) I'm trying to like, I'm trying to be precise woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink that puttest thy bottle to him and makest him drunk drunken also that thou mayest look on their nakedness so looking on someone's nakedness is of course as we have discussed at length a biblical euphemism for sex so don't get somebody drunk so that you can non-consensually do things to them once again fucking good advice (laughs) 
Excellent advice. Very Don't do that. (laughs) Absolutely do not. But I found like I found all of these verses that aren't exactly the one that I think I'm looking for. But woe is perceived by the IFB as a curse. So woe unto this person, woe unto that person. Uh, That means a curse from God. So woe unto him, you're cursed by God if you give your neighbor drink. Wow. And that is interpreted to mean that you cannot even, you cannot even go to the fridge and get a beer for somebody, nor can you serve someone alcohol at your job, um, nor can you hand a beer between two people. If you're hanging out with your heathen, unsaved family, somebody comes in the room with two beers, like one for them and one for somebody else, you cannot hand, you cannot help them pass the beer from one person to another. Biblical literalism, everybody. Yeah. Uh, You're actually not supposed to touch any container containing alcohol, and you are not supposed to look at alcohol or any container containing it if you can help it, which is uh, another thing from Proverbs. I'm getting back to the Jesus thing, though. The verse, there's a verse about woe to you if you give your neighbor drink. So it's a sin and a curse to give alcohol to someone else because Jesus was perfect. He couldn't commit that sin because the whole IFB salvation theology rests on Jesus being completely perfect while he was here on earth in human form. So Jesus was perfect. Therefore, he could not have broken that law that it's that you can't give someone else alcohol. Therefore, this alcohol or this wine must have been non-alcoholic. This seems like a bit of a stretch to me, to be honest. Yeah, that's a pretty common viewpoint on this. <laughs> yeah, like in the ancient world, especially because people had to drink wine because the water was like you could have clean water, but you'd have to boil it first, mm-hmm. which wasn't convenient. Like if you're traveling somewhere, if you're you know on the road or something, like you would drink wine, like even if it was very, very, very diluted. The presence of any alcohol would uh, 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 kill the bacteria and make it safe to drink, which is why like every ancient civilization developed some level of fermentation. This is why beer was invented because it was mm-hmm. low AB. Yeah, you, low A uh, alcohol by volume and you could drink more of it without getting drunk and it was safer to drink than water. Right. People weren't looking around, like walking around looking to get wasted all the time. It was it was a, a way to transport fluids to drink without them making you sick. Are you familiar with the story of Samson? Very much so, yes. Mm -hmm. So, correct me if I get anything wrong. This ties into the Jesus turning water into wine thing. Samson in the Bible had taken an ancient vow called a Nazarite vow. This vow was a thing that people did to set themselves apart to God usually for a very specific amount of time. So usually you would take on this vow for like a year or two years or whatever. And it was to set yourself, like make yourself holy before God for a specific purpose or mission that you were trying to accomplish. It was very rarely for life. I think in scripture we have two recorded instances of someone who is a Nazarite or took the vow for life. Uh, And those are Samson and John the Baptist, who's going to come up in a minute here. Two of the major things that a man who took this vow would do is, number one, not cut his hair at all, and number two, not drink wine. And this comes up in the story of Samson and Delilah, where she 
manipulates him into cutting his hair and then he loses the special powers that God gave him because of his Nazarite vow. So once again, the IFB are fully ignoring the part about not cutting their hair, but Hmm. they fully accept the part about not drinking. So they take this to mean that not drinking will give you special powers from God. Another thing that they conveniently ignore, so they take this one thing out of the Samson story. Samson didn't drink and it gave him special powers from God. And then they ignore everything else about his story. And they ignore Luke chapter 7, verse 33 and 34, which is about John the Baptist and his Nazarite vows. So verse 33, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath a devil. Verse 34, the son of man, that means Jesus, is come eating and drinking, and ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So the message of that verse is that John the Baptist didn't drink wine. You said he has a demon. Jesus does drink wine, and you say he's a drunk. We just can't win with you people. I grabbed the same two verses from the Message Bible just to get it in more modern language. So here's the... The message message is a good study tool. I don't know if I can say it's the word of God. Um, I don't know if I'm quite that far down the road yet. Does the message have a a cap and no cap in it? No, 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 no. This is... (laughs) The TikTok Bible. <laughs> That's the Gen Z Bible. Um, no, the same two verses from the message. Um, John the baptizer came fasting and you called him crazy. The son of man came feasting and you called him a boozer. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? Opinion po- man. So Hello, fellow youths. <laughs> <laughs> well, the message was written in like the 80s. So it's hello, fellow 80s youths. So the the idea is like, It's drawing a direct contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus. And one thing that is clearly pointed out is that John the Baptist did not drink. So that problem that seems to indicate that Jesus did. So I am with, with all of these, I don't know. It seems clear to me. If you look at all of them together, it says drinking in excess is bad, especially in situations when other people are counting on your judgment and decision-making. Um, and also, it's a bad idea to just, like, drink all day and all night. You shouldn't do it. Every day, yeah. So, I do want to point out, I missed one thing. The fundamentalists also, of course, believe that when the Bible says that Jesus and the disciples drank wine at the Last Supper, that that would also be unfermented grape juice, which is why the Baptists serve literally Welch's grape juice for communion and trash talk, all denominations that serve actual alcoholic wine. So I did just I did just want to throw in that one extra little tidbit. But what you were saying about like these biblical drinking rules actually seem to make decent sense. Um if following biblical rules is important to you for whatever reason, I think it's really clear drinking if it could hurt other people is a sin. This would absolutely make drinking and driving a sin. Drinking to the extent that you forget how to behave or drinking so much that you harm someone emotionally or physically is a sin. Constant drunkenness or blacking out is a sin. But Jesus absolutely drank wine. And the Proverbs prohibitions against alcohol are not meant to be commandments. They're good advice. So if you are just coming out of fundamentalism, what does the process of deconstructing this belief look like? 
I think for me and for a lot of people I know, it was a lot of like mental back and forth before any actual action was taken. Another thing is, so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, purity culture. A lot of us may have signed purity pledges, but a lot of us also signed paper contracts that promised we would never drink. Never having tried alcohol is a very big deal in Fundy World. So even if you've had one tiny sip of alcohol one time, you have lost the bragging rights of being able to say that you've never done it. It is not tied to your worth the way that virginity is, but it is treated very similarly otherwise. Pastors who have never tried alcohol will brag about it a lot. One of Jack Hiles' favorite stories to tell was how he was offered alcohol, and it's a very dramatic story about how he <coughs> raised the bottle to his lips, and <coughs> and then I threw it on the floor of the car. Um, so, it like, never having tried it. He was drinking in it, a car? Huh? He was drinking in a car? That's a Yeah, it was like idea. the 40s in Texas. His friends, he was in the backseat of the car, and his friends were trying to get him to drink. Um, that's the story. But but yeah, having never tried it is a big bragging right thing. So uh, honoring your word and promises clearly a big deal. Yeah. Like you, even if you made a promise or an agreement under duress or in a totally manipulative circumstance, you're still held to it. Yes, and especially so if the promise was made to God. We were rarely asked to promise things to our parents or to our pastor. Usually, we were asked to make promises directly to God. So, the text of this contract uh, that I, I mean, I signed one, might read something like this. Uh, Today, I promise you, God, that I will never drink, touch, or consume any alcoholic beverage of any kind. And if I do, you may inflict any punishment on me you see fit up to and including death. Wow. Um, I made that up, but I do feel like that's an accurate representation. There's a whole thing in the IFB about promises to God being nearly unbreakable. And there's a whole thing about God has every right to kill you if you break a promise to God. This is why people like who get like get called to preach and then leave are terrified sometimes. So if, if you make a promise to somebody that they really didn't ask you to, and they tell you later, it's cool, man. You don't have to. Like, you're still obligated. Yes. But this is with God. Right. So, if I promise you, Gavi, next week I'll give you $500. You're like, well, that's that's great, but you don't really have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you can if you want to, but you don't have to. And I, But, like, now I promised it, so now I have to do it. But in the IFB belief, God is not going to kill you. If you don't keep a promise that you made to another person, it is a bad thing. It's a sin, but it is not going to bring down the imminent wrath of God. If you promise something to God, however, and you don't do it, God might cause a car accident so that you'll die. And if anyone else dies from the car accident and they weren't saved and they go to hell, their blood is on your hands. So you ha- you will still go to heaven because you're still saved, but you will be in heaven with the knowledge that you sent X number of people to hell. Also, so let's say you break a promise to God and God puts you in a car accident to kill you. But your best friend, who is also saved, is also in the car accident with you and they also die. Well, then all of the people that they were supposed to witness to and have saved, if those people don't get saved, it is also your fault. So you will be in eternal paradise 
with the knowledge that you doomed however many dozens or hundreds of people to hell. Wow. Which sounds like real paradisey to me. <laughs> it's just one, like, you just can't reason your way out of it, can you? It's just, they, <laughs> they found all the loopholes. And, right, and then yeah. they're all terrifying. <laughs> God. So, uh, so this is why ex-fundamentalists are kind of in the head. <laughs> so a lot of deconstructors mm. do end up eventually agnostic or atheist. And we are in uh, a non-believer affirming podcast. But if you're still waffling over to whether you want to try alcohol or not, even if that's going to be the end point of your journey, I kind of imagine that you're not there yet. <laughs> So if you're trying to take this on from a biblical perspective, not only realizing that the Bible does not completely prohibit moderate alcohol consumption and that Jesus drank and made wine, but also realizing that the promises you were told to make under duress don't count <laughs> and that you shouldn't be held to what you did when you were like 14 are kind of things you have to deconstruct before you can get to an answer on this. Here's another question for you. Uh, I, I, maybe it's it's not a question. Here's something that we should discuss: is why would somebody want to consume alcohol? I worry sometimes that someone would want to do this in the ex-fundy sense because they felt like it was something they had to do to deconstruct. I did feel this way. Um, I did feel like in order to consider myself fully destructed or deconstructed, um, I had to drink a certain amount. And I felt like I had to drink on par with what I thought worldly people drink like. And it took, and mm -hmm. over time, I realized that I'm actually really ha a lot happier when I don't drink very much. Actually, I learned this during the pandemic because I realized that if I'm drinking at home, I really do not want more than like one drink. It's just not fun. I, and it just, the pandemic really just clarified for me that. I enjoy drinking in social situations and I enjoy, I really like trying new drinks and learning about alcohol and how it's made and that kind of thing. But I had to learn that I was not obligated. And whether you're an ex-fundy or not, you don't have to love drinking. Like you can have a good time and socialize without drinking or with very little alcohol. And there shouldn't be any shame in that. So I do worry that sometimes ex-fundamentalists feel like they have to cross that line like there are these goals in their mind, like I've got to do this thing, I've got to do that thing, I've got to do this thing. Like they're like a checklist of deconstruction. In a healthier context, though, I think people drink because they like the taste of a certain drink or because a drink complements the food that they're eating or because they want to loosen up and socialize or because it's a treat yourself kind of thing or because it helps them re relax or because it enhances an experience that they already enjoy, which is kind of to me, that's like the the best reason to drink or if you just want to go out and party and get like super blitzed well isn't that enhancing an experience that you already enjoy maybe because if know. you enjoy well if you enjoy dancing and drinking enhances it or if you enjoy meeting new people and drinking enhances that anyway should we talk about uh first time drinking experiences sure why not okay let's do it do you want to go first what was what was your introduction to the wonderful world of alcoholic beverages? So I think when I was a kid, we would eat like Tex-Mex one night a week. So, you know, rice and beans, um, tacos, burritos, uh, quesadillas, stuff like that. So uh, and we when we did that, my dad would usually drink a beer, which was us usually like a Dos Equis 
couple of times I asked him what it tasted like and he gave me like a sip and I thought it was gross, but I was like nine or 10, nine and like 10 year olds think beer tastes gross. That makes sense. I think it's bitter. And I do, I do want to be that kind of parent. I really think if you demystify moderate alcohol consumption at home, that the kids are more likely to grow up to be responsible drinkers if they choose to drink. So I want to be the parent, like, if my teenager wants a little splash of champagne on New Year's, like, absolutely. They're not, like, they're not driving anywhere. And a truly small amount so that they can do a toast is not going to mess up their brain cells or anything. As your husband puts it uh, so hilariously, beer is for dads and teenagers with fake IDs. One of his most quoted Simpsons quotes. He will also say (laughs) beer is for dad and cats with fake IDs if Harry tries to drink out of his beer. So I think the first time, though, that I like drank alcohol that wasn't a sip was probably like Passover when I was 12 or 13. Um, You know, when you're you're at the age when you're too old to hunt for the Afikoman, you're allowed to drink Manischewitz, which, as I said earlier, tastes exactly like grape juice because it's made from the same grapes that they make Welsh's grape juice out of. Uh, It's delicious and it costs like seven dollars a bottle. So uh, if you want to get drunk on something sweet uh, for very cheap, Manischewitz is the way to go. Um, I didn't start like actually drinking, drinking until I was like 15 or 16. I remember like, you know, I was hanging out with friends in high school um, and sometimes I get made fun of because it was a little straight edge for the first part of high school. Uh, but that was mostly because I was like super high anxiety and all the time. And I was like afraid of getting in trouble for stuff because I wasn't like charismatic or smooth enough uh, to get myself out of trouble if I ever got into it, you know, mm-hmm. and my parents, my parents were kind of strict. So I was always like afraid of, Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm going to get in trouble for that. If I like put my toes out of line, but like later in high school, I started partying a bit more. And when you get into doing something, it's like, but people like, it's really easy to go overboard, especially if you're trying to be cool. Like, Oh, I do this all the time. I'm, I'm a bad boy. You know, I do this all the time. So especially like when you get to college, uh, you're gonna and and you if you go somewhere that has like a, a drinking culture, you're there's a chance that you might go a bit overboard, especially if you you know if you get there and you just want to party. But that's just kind of how it is, and you just have to figure out what's overboard and what works for you. Um, but I think our listeners more than me are interested in hearing what your first drinking experience was like. Uh, the first time I had any alcohol at all was at a Mardi Gras parade. I had just turned 22, and I had maybe half of my friend's margarita. Honestly, man, that seems like a great time. Like, if your first introduction to alcohol is a margarita at a parade or, like, at a Mexican restaurant, great way to start out. I really took the slow route into drinking. I think I was really afraid of not being in control. And I did have some missteps because I was learning to drink in my early 20s. So other people that were in my early 20s, they were in their early 20s at the same time as I was in my early 20s, had a much better handle on what they were doing because they had a more normal upbringing. (laughs) (laughs) So there were uh, uh, quite a few incidents of getting sick. And like I was like I was drinking like a 17, 18 year old and everybody around me was drinking like a 23 year old. So there was definitely a disconnect. I did once throw up on an Exmo friend. So I get the permanent bragging rights of having thrown up on a verified descendant of Brigham Young. So that's kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) 
part of what made this like so difficult for me. So I think part of why I really had a rocky first couple of years drinking was because I had no younger introduction to alcohol. But I think the other part of it is that I had, I had no idea like what the different al- types of alcohol were. I had no idea like how to, how to prepare for a night out. Like I would go out on an empty stomach and then have like four different kinds of drinks with no regard for like, what has sugar in it or what the ABV is. And I would just be like, oh, I want to try a tequila sunrise. I'm going to have that. Oh, I'm going to drink this beer. Oh, people are doing shots. I want to do shots. Oh, I'm going to try this other drink that I've heard of. I'm going to try a Moscow mule. And then I just like, that's not, that that doesn't work for me. And I had to find that out the hard way. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I still do that, except for the part about doing it on an empty stomach. You know, I just, I've learned that some people can tolerate that and I am not one of them. I will just, I do a lot better if I'm drinking the same thing or like the same two things in any given day. And I do a lot better if I just drink like clear alcohol or beer. And I do so much better with drinks that don't have a lot of sugar. Yeah, I just choose what I'm drinking based entirely on vibes. I so, don't. Yeah. Um, I have like standard things that I drink and I do deviate from that. Like if there's if I go somewhere and there's a fun cocktail on the menu that's out of my normal things that I would order, I'll absolutely try it. If everybody if I'm out with friends and everybody is doing a specialty shot or something, sure, I'll try it. If like everybody is going to drink this, if everybody's getting a pitcher of something and it's super sugary. Yeah, I'll <laughs> sure I'll deal with it. I'm not strict about it, but I usually stick to the things that I know work well for me. So it's not like how you feel like you you want to see a menu three days before going to the restaurant. <laughs> no, it's not really an anxiety thing. It's more of just like, I know what will make me feel the least bad. And I know what will make me feel the least bad tomorrow. See that very smart. Um I, I, for me, I just pop a couple of Tylenol before I go out to preempt the hangover, which I know is terrible for you and mm-hmm. you shouldn't do it, but I do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's really bad for you. But like, I don't know, your body, your choice. <laughs> <laughs> I could drink without getting much of a hangover when I was like 24, 25, but my ability to do that dropped off very quickly after that. Yeah. That's what happens when you get into your late twenties. Have you had a two day hangover yet or has your metabolism not fully caught up to you? Oh, the two days after my birthday party this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, and the day uh, last month when I went to Savi Island and drank a ton on the beach and got horribly sunburned. That but, day was fun. I got a lot of drunk texts from you. Yeah, that's true. I, just, I don't remember what I sent to you, but I, I... I don't remember either. I just remember that it was funny. Yeah. Great time. I, I think I've just learned at this point, especially now that I have a baby... Having a hangover is just rarely worth it to me. Once in a while, it's worth it. And, you know, if it's going to be worth it, if I'll go out, you know, I'll drink and have fun and take Tylenol and slam a glass of water before bed. And if I know ahead of time that I'm going to go party, I'll try to have some Gatorade in the fridge. But I, I genuinely, I hate being hungover. And more than being hungover, I hate being super drunk. Like when, when you get drunk enough that you get the spins... Oh, yeah. I get the spins really easily, and I hate it. And I don't know if this is... 
I don't know if this is fundy trauma or if this is actually self-preservation, like healthy self-preservation. I genuinely have no idea, but I cannot stand feeling like I'm not in control or not like fully aware of the situation. So I certainly at times choose to drink enough that I wouldn't be safe driving and take an Uber, have somebody else drive me, whatever. But feeling like I am losing awareness of my body in this situation, I cannot do. Absolutely hate it. So I just, I don't like getting super drunk. I don't, I really don't like being hungover. So I've kind of just learned to drink enough that I don't hit either one of those levels. Because I just, I don't want to be sick the next day. It's not worth it to me 99% of the time. Yeah, man. Hangovers are no fun. I think one of the reasons like anybody who is learning to drink gets over their head, though, is that they just don't have a primer, especially if you grew up in fundamentalism and you just have no idea what any of this is. So I was thinking, let's go take up the offering. Let's come back and let's kind of do an overview of... A lot of different fun topics surrounding this. Great. Let's do it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well would you take care of your car if you only had one car to drive your entire life? Well, we only get one brain for our entire life. So why don't we treat them as well as we would that vehicle? How we care for our brains affects so many of our life experiences. There are a lot of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or listening to a new informative podcast. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Somebody asked me recently why a person should go to therapy. Somebody in my real life asked me this, and I described it to them as, imagine your brain like a room in your house, and someone has come through that room and thrown thrown everything on the floor, taken the books off the shelves, emptied out the desk drawers, and it's just a mess. Well, a therapist comes into that messy room and helps you put all the books back on the shelves and sort all the papers back into the desk, and they might even help you find something that you've been looking for. BetterHelp is online therapy. They offer video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions so you don't have to see anyone on camera or even hear anybody's voice in real time if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com Eden. That's betterhelp.com Eden. 
Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back. What have we talked about? We've talked about the Bible. We've talked about hangovers. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we we did. Jeez, I hit the head on the microphone. Oh, no. Yeah, we've so we, we've talked all around kind of why a ex-fundy person might have hangups about drinking. And I think it's a, a good time to pivot and talk about, I don't know, the mechanics of drinking. Mechanics? Is that the way you want to put it? Uh, that's <laughs> the way that I feel like that's a, a that's an ex-fundy way to put it. That's the way that you guys talk about salvation. And sex. Like, so the mechan- it, it kind of applies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. When you were coming out, what is what like what are the things that you wish you'd have known? So I definitely wish I had known more types of alcohol than um cheap and expensive, which is pretty much what I knew when I was getting out. I <laughs> wish I had known more about like, I feel like drinking culture, you just have to learn. And th- that's not something that can really be taught. You just have to kind of do it and figure it out and make mistakes. But I wish I had a more clear definition of what was safe and unsafe behavior. I wish I had known more about types of alcohol. And I really wish I had known how to order at a bar and not feel so self-conscious. The the piece of information I think that would have prevented me from throwing up on a descendant of Brigham Young uh, <laughs> is the, is knowing what a standard drink is and what that means in reality. So interesting. Yeah, because I just didn't, I didn't comprehend. Like, I knew that a beer is one drink and a glass of wine is one drink and a 1.5 ounces of liquor in the United States is one drink. I didn't really have a way to apply that information to real life. Or understand like how that would affect me. So all of those things are a standard drink because beer will be between like three and eight percent generally, sometimes nine percent alcohol. Wine will generally be around thirteen or fourteen percent. There's a little bit of variance, and then spirits will be around forty percent alcohol. Although there are definitely outliers, like one fifty one is seventy five percent alcohol, and Everclear is what like ninety percent. Do not like ever you. <laughs> I'm just going to say this right now. Everclear is always a bad decision. Just Everclear, don't. Just don't. <laughs> actually, Sadie, the punch that I made for my birthday had Everclear in it. I know. I watched you make it. <laughs> yeah. I also it, had, what, like two tablespoons of that punch? Yeah. It, it tasted like candy. I did not ingest very much of that. The main ingredients in that punch are Red Bull, Sunny D, and Everclear and Manischewitz. It was... Yeah, uh, it was good. It, I, well, I think the thing the thing is that with that punch, there is no way of knowing how many ounces of it to drink to be one standard drink. 
Yeah. Like that is where I feel like I got thrown off because I didn't quite understand like logically I knew, but I didn't understand physically how it would affect me. The difference between a beer that is 4% alcohol and a beer that is 8%. Right. So that I think if I had maybe understood a little bit better what ABV was and what a standard drink is, I think that made it would have enabled me to be a little bit more safe with drinking. That's the thing is that things can vary depending on the strength of the individual drink. So some beers that you get are going to be like 4% alcohol and some beers that you get are going to be like, a, oh, it's like a double IPA and it's seven and a half percent. But if you're yeah, but if you're starting out, I think there's a bit of a like, especially if, if you're coming into this as an adult and you didn't grow up like drinking in high school and so you didn't have or, or like in college and you didn't have time to just like do it just the most ratchet way possible before like aging into taste, you're going to want to come in and you're going to want to feel like a, a, like you're doing it the right way. Like you're you're doing that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I like, can see that being a thing for a lot of people. So you're going to want to maybe come in as a connoisseur and do it properly rather than just like I had you know. a little bit of that. I think I had more of wanting to look experienced and wanting to look cool. Yeah. So I think my motivation for the same behavior was a little bit different. And like by the time I started drinking, Portland was already IPA central. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of pressure I felt like there was social pressure to have your favorite IPA and like be an IPA snob. I tend to suggest that people go ahead and try everything. And that includes fancy stuff and less fancy stuff, but to try one thing at a time. So if you're on beers, drink beers. If you're on shots, drink shots. If you're on mixed drinks, drink that. If you're on wine, drink wine. Um, and the people kind of just try everything and try to let go of, is this fancy enough or is this going to make me look cool enough? Because in the end, the goal is to find something that you like and something that sits well with you. So you might like cheap beer. You might like fancy beer. You might like a particular cocktail or a particular kind of wine. You're not going to know unless you try different things. And I think the healthy view of drinking is you want to find something that you genuinely enjoy in moderate and healthy amounts for you. I do think it's a good idea to go out and and try things. Like one night, go out and try different beers. And then the next time you go out, try a few different vodka cocktails. I just think it's a more <laughs> scientific way of knowing like what affects you and how different things affect you. That's an interesting take. I And, you know, on that line, there's also a lot of bars where you can get like a tasting flight, you know, where like if you're trying oh, yeah. to. Yeah. Like if, if you go to like some breweries or something, they'll give you like a little like four ounce of like four different beers. So rather than getting a pint, which is 16 ounces of one thing, you'll get like four ounces of four different things and you can try them all. And that could be a good option in figuring out even just like what kind of beers that you like, like. You know, Sadie was saying earlier, Portland, uh, where we live in, Portland is like an IPA town. People here love them, their IPAs. I personally don't. I don't want to, if I drink beer, I don't want to feel like I'm drinking an entire loaf of bread. Uh, 
that's just me. Your opinion, like your opinions may be different. I like, um, I like IPAs if they are really, really citrusy. So I, the Deschutes fresh squeezed is amazing. No, I don't like it at all. Oh, I love I, it. I really do. Oh, I hate it. It's I can't super, stand it's it. Like, it's super, super citrusy. It, it's like beer with a shot of orange juice in it. If that sounds good to you, then you can drink that one. But like personally, what I would recommend, because if you go out to, you know, the, the, the brewery and you're like, okay, let me try like eight different kinds of beers. And they're like, okay, well, here's like a, a Kolsch and here's a double IPA and here's a Porter and here's a lager. Um, and you're going to try all of them. You're going to get used to like a certain standard of quality. What I would recommend instead of doing that, like if you're going to go out and drink alcohol for the first time, first of all, I would start out with beer in general because it comes in a big glass. So if you don't have any alcohol tolerance, uh, which you probably don't because, you know, you're coming out of fundamentalism and you've never drank before. But if you don't really have any alcohol tolerance and they give you a big glass of beer, you can drink that slowly over the course of, of like an hour or like hour and a half or two hours or something. And you won't have to worry about like really losing control of yourself if this is something that you're really trying to ease into. That's a good point. You are you are generally unless you are a really really tiny person with a slow metabolism, you are not going to get like dizzy from drinking one beer. If it's your very first time drinking, you might get just a little bit lightheaded. You know, if you if you slam it really fast, you might get a little bit lightheaded, but you are not going to get fall down drunk from one beer unless you're a very small human. And also beer isn't horribly expensive, so you won't feel bad if you like drink half of it and you decide that you don't like it. And so you don't want to finish it. It won't be like, oh, I've you know, I've thrown like twelve dollars on a fancy cocktail down the drain because I, I ordered something that I didn't like and I now I feel obligated to finish it. Yeah, I do like that advice. I think that I tend to think that if you are truly a first time drinker, which is probably not a huge proportion of our audience, um, if you're it's tr- some people, though, it, it's, it's got to be some, some people. people. Yeah. It's surely some people. I think if you're a, an actual first time drinker, trying alcohol at home for the first time, not by yourself with friends who know what they're doing, uh, I think that's a good idea. I do think beer is a good starter drink. Um, just be aware that you might not like it very much the first time. It's kind of an acquired taste. I didn't like it very much the first time. Uh, but here's here's a hot take. This is my hot Ooh, take. Hot take. Yeah, is that if you're going to start out drinking beer, which I think you should, you should start out drinking like cheap beer. I started drinking, I started out drinking beer with PBR uh, and my friends and I would just get like a pitcher at the bar and years down the line, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I definitely would go for a cold one right now because it's hot. The beers I ended up really liking were Blue Moon and the Fresh Squeeze that I mentioned earlier. Both of them are like orange flavored, citrus flavored. Both super citrusy. I guess that's just what I like. And neither of those are like horribly pretentious either. You do get people who are super pretentious about it. And that's sort of the thing is that like, if you're getting into this for the first time, your instinct is going to be that you're going to want to get in immediately into trying like all the micro brews and the craft brews and stuff. And that's fine. But if you start out drinking and you get used to like it being craft beer, 
and, and like really fancy and, and really like trying to taste the, the texture and then the mouthfeel of the hops and stuff like that, you know, the, all those sorts of things. Um, and then you go to somebody's house to watch a football game or something and they offer you a Michelob Ultra or like some piss, you know, and you turn them down because you only drink micro brews and IPAs. They're going to think that you're pretentious and they're going to think that you're like, this guy's too good for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do think that getting into microbrews can be a really fun hobby, but I get what you're saying about it. Maybe not being your entry point. Like, I mean, I love uh, uh, going to like a, a taqueria, like a really nice, like a, 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 a great taqueria where they've got just amazing tacos. You know what else I love? T-Bell. Mm. Those, two th- those two things, loving those two things, not mutually exclusive. So what I'm saying, like That's start out this point. Yeah. Start out with like a Budweiser or like mm. a PBR or like a Rainier, something that like is, is cheap and kind of shitty. And then go from there. Like beer is for the masses. Okay. Like beer is, is the people's drink and the best beer is any beer that's cold. And the second best beer is any beer that's free. I am not disagreeing with your point, but I have to say that I cannot drink Budweiser. I cannot, really? cannot because of fundies. <laughs> oh, oh my. Okay. What did they? So I, I recently this? got into this conversation with my husband and he thought it was hilarious. So hopefully our listeners do too. Jesus um, Christ, what am I, what am I about to hear? So I grew up in the St. Louis area, which is obviously peak Budweiser country because the brewery and everything else is right down the road. I was told growing up in the IFB that the Bush family puts Budweiser in their baby bottles to get their children hooked on beer from a young age. Yeah. Uh, I was also told, and this is gross, like just a general content warning. This is some gross out content. I was told that they encourage their workers to pee into the vats of beer what? so that their workers don't have to take time off the line. Uh, I was also told that their workers will like blow their nose or spit into the vats of beer. I was no told way. that a worker cut their finger off and it just got put into a can of beer, which is an interesting permutation on it, like a really common 90s or urban legend. Um, and then I was also told that the pee from the Budweiser draft horses is also put into the beer. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of Budweiser referred to as horse piss before, but like... But I was told that it was very literally. literal. <laughs> like, like, this is extremely 90s chain email. But like, make uh, it funny. <laughs> Yeah, but because oh of that, God. I just like my husband was drinking a Budweiser the other day and he didn't want the last half of his beer. And which, uh, by the way, good, good point for drinking. If you get halfway through a drink and you don't want the rest because you realize that it's going to make you a little more tipsy than you want to be, just throw it out. That is one hallmark of somebody who's drinking responsibly. Just throwing that out there. Anyway. He was drinking a Budweiser and he didn't want the last half of his beer. And I would have totally appreciated half of a beer at the moment. I was like, oh, I'll drink the the other half of that. And then I just literally could not do it (laughs) because of the the fundy programming. Wow. Anyway, that's so funny. That's what I think about Budweiser. I mean, if if you want like my personal opinion, and this is just my personal taste, if you want to drink cheap beer, 
and you want cheap beer that's actually like it tastes pretty decent like honestly like and, and i like a lot of different kinds of beer coors is a good bet you know just like the rate like coors banquet is a good tasting beer that is also extremely cheap for for me top tier cheap beers are PBR or Montucky cold snacks. Neither of those are bad options. I mean, yeah. really just like the thing is that like one of these beer, it's like $2 for one. So you yeah. can just decide what you can just decide which one you want. You can try a bunch of different ones and you can just decide, okay, if I'm getting cheap beer, this is and what And these I'm are generally going to be low ABV as well. So this is something you can kind of drink like a soda and it's not going to, you're not going to be, just completely hammered and a lot of them are about as sweet as a soda too <laughs> yeah true 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 yeah they've so, got that much corn syrup in there. so i think i think kind of part of what you're saying with this is that your drink choice doesn't have to impress anyone yes yeah like i get if you are out on a date maybe you want to present yourself a certain way there's maybe certain foods that you wouldn't order on a date. If you think you're going to kiss this date, maybe you wouldn't order, you know, garlic bread uh, with anchovies on it. Maybe you wouldn't order the onion pizza if you're on a date. Maybe um, you wouldn't order ribs. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you would. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, more I power to you. <laughs> I hope that you rock it. Getting messy, getting all up in there. <laughs> so, like, there are, you know, I guess that really depends on who you're on a date with. Yeah, you might end up like if if you uh, get all the meat off of those bones, you might end up impressing some people. That depends on like, <laughs> yeah, depends on who you're on a date with. But I, like, I get if that you can get all the meat off of a chicken bone, man. That's how you. Uh, never mind. <laughs> I don't. What does it say? Never mind. Um, <laughs> I can't eat meat off of bones. It grosses me out. Feel it like grosses me out too. I'm gonna be totally honest. I feel with like you. I've said I, this I, on the podcast yeah. before. I cannot do it. So I, I get that there are situations where there is good reason to want to impress somebody with your drink choice, and that's valid. But if you're at the bar with friends, just drink whatever the f you want. Like if you are a cis guy and you want a girly blended drink with a little umbrella in it, you go for it. They're delicious. I just, I don't, I want to encourage people, like, don't get into, like, gender norms or being pretentious when you're in the process of just trying to find out what you enjoy and how much you enjoy. So y'all know I like to keep it super simple. I love uh, gin cocktails in general. Like, uh, I love a French 75, love a gimlet. But I really, I enjoy a good old-fashioned gin and tonic. I've just, I've learned that gin doesn't make me super emotional. It's never going to make me feel sick. There's not very much sugar in a gin and tonic, so it doesn't give me a bad hangover. And I've definitely gotten some side eyes when I was in a situation where people were drinking more fancy or more, how do I say this? Highfalutin. Yeah, a drink that takes a little more effort to put together than a gin and tonic. I've definitely gotten some side eyes, but it's what I like. And I don't feel the need to care what people think about that. I'm just enjoying what I enjoy. Gin and tonic is a great drink, especially on a hot day. Very refreshing. Uh, so another thing I think it's important to figure out is whether or not you are the kind of person who can drink hard alcohol without a mixer. So hard alcohol, uh, as opposed to like, you know, beer and wine 
is going to include whiskey, gin, vodka, tequila, rum, brandy, other things as well. Uh, it's usually about 40% alcohol by volume, more or less. Uh, so uh-huh. one, yeah, one shot glass, which is uh, going to be like one and a half ounces about. That's got the same amount of alcohol in it as one beer or one glass of wine. And if you are drinking it without a mixer, so if you're drinking whiskey, just like neat, which is just whiskey in a glass. Yep, no ice, nothing. That takes some getting used to, and it's not for everybody. I know some people that just have a natural bad, like adverse reaction to even just the smell of straight liquor. Some liquors are easier to drink straight than others. And usually this is like directly proportional to the amount of money that they cost sometimes with, with certain ones. So like, yeah, I was talking about whiskey uh, a moment ago, whiskey, for instance, made from grain. There are several different varieties that you'll have heard of, including Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, bourbon, rye, Um, It's an alcohol that sometimes you drink it neat, which means with no ice. Sometimes you drink it with rocks, which means with ice. And sometimes you drink it in a mixed drink. And so if you say you go to the liquor store and you're looking at like selections and there's a plastic bottle of whiskey that costs $8.99. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's probably not going to be one that you're going to want to drink straight. If you buy the eight ninety nine whiskey and you mix it into a punch or something, I mean, honestly, you're probably going to be fine. And the the eight ninety nine vodka in a plastic bottle is maybe going to be it's going to have a pretty sm- strong uh, alcohol smell and taste, like you know, mouthwash. Um, <laughs> but it's not nearly going to be as gross as the eight ninety nine whiskey. Oh, eight ninety nine whiskey is a mistake if you plan on just like drinking it straight. Don't do, with it. Like, don't yeah. do that. Um, um, but eight ninety nine vodka, like this, is probably fine. Yeah, the whiskey that costs like twenty eight dollars, you could probably drink that straight without vomiting, and you can often tell which one is the one that you're going to want to drink by smelling it. So if you smell it, like say you're you're drinking whiskey, you smell it, and it smells really it smells like gasoline that's that's one you're going to want to avoid you're probably better off mixing it if it smells more like woody and more earthy maybe that's one that you would drink neat or you would drink with rocks and like i i'll tell you i've i've drunk a lot of different whiskeys i've tried a lot of different ones over the years and in my personal opinion I'm not like a whiskey expert or anything or like a connoisseur or anything. Once you get above spending like $30, $35 on a bottle of whiskey, I don't know about you, Say, Did you agree with me on this? Is that I, like, because I can't tell the difference between $50 scotch and $150 scotch. I really can't. Uh, I can to an extent, maybe slightly above the extent that you can. But I agree that there is a point where it's more about the status than it actually being that different you you know some people really get into that and it's just not my thing but i don't want to tell other people what to do as long as they're doing it in a fairly responsible way i think what the other the other thing i would say about this though is that you just do not have to be the kind of person who drinks liquor straight you just you don't it's just not a requirement for being a trademark worldly heathen person like (laughs) i i can drink alcohol straight and i just don't i just don't 
enjoy it very much. To me, there are so many super cool and creative things that you can do with alcohol that I don't see generally the point in drinking it plain. Even with like like a really expensive scotch or whiskey, I get that it's meant to be drunk by itself or like with one of those really cool giant spherical ice cubes, which are really rad. I get that there are a lot of different notes and flavors in it, and I understand that that is cool to some people, but it's just not for me. I would just rather have a creative cocktail with a different spirit for half the price of what that glass of whiskey would be. You just This is not something that you have to like to be like the worldly heathen person of your dreams. I do know a lot of exes go hard for like the specialized whiskey, scotch, bourbon thing, like connoisseur thing. It is a major hallmark of an exe. <laughs> so if you want to go for it, I just, I don't want it to become the thing that like all the exes do. And then everybody feels like they're obligated to do it. Well, I will say that whiskey is the official drink of people with unresolved childhood trauma. <laughs> so, Are you saying that my childhood trauma is resolved? Because that doesn't sound right. But also, I'm pretty sure the last time I had whiskey was before the pandemic. That brings me to another question, though. Do you think that like the the like the craft whiskey, the, um, the you know, being the, the whiskey enthusiast, connoisseur uh, uh do you think that's sort of a way to maybe classy up and like make highbrow uh, a, a hobby of drinking because so like i'm not drink. oh i'm not drinking it to get drunk i'm drinking it for the flavor you know what i'm saying i don't know because if that was it wouldn't people just get into wine maybe as far as ex fundies i think my suspicion is that the reason that so many of them get into whiskey is because it's the kind of alcohol that Jack Hiles yelled about the most. Really? Um, yeah. Growing up, I kind of thought that whiskey was the only kind of hard alcohol that there was. And then later I learned that vodka existed as well. Um, <laughs> but preachers growing up tended to use whiskey as a generic term for all all liquor, all hard alcohol. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. That's my suspicion on why so many exes go for it. You know, I think up until fairly recently, like up until basically about our lifetimes, a lot of like the the alcohol that you drank or the alcohol that, that people drink socially was it was very regional within the United States. Mm -hmm. So whiskey is was very much like, oh, this is uh, what the, 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 the heartland drinks. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And like light liquors or things that maybe they're imported as well. That was seen more of like an elitist, like a coastal, like a, mm. a, a oh, you're a, you're a city slicker kind of thing to drink. Interesting. That brings me to something though, because there are some kinds of alcohol, some varieties of alcohol that some people can handle and some people can't. Like for me personally, I can do vodka, fine. Tequila, just fine. Whiskey, no problem. I have had bad experiences with spiced rum i can't handle it unless it's like mixed with red bull or like coke i you know? just don't like spiced rum me neither i just I don't, don't think it tastes good i, I don't either I, and i usually am all about things like herbal things or things with spice flavors spiced rum though is just not just not i don't like rum at all really i, I don't mm. know that it has any negative effect on me i just don't like it also 
brown spirits and red wine put me to sleep. And that's not categorically a negative effect. If, you know, if I'm going to have a glass of wine at home and then take a nap, that's not a bad thing, but it's not good for trying to socialize. So I rarely drink those. I I don't drink brown spirits anymore. And I rarely drink red wine outside the house because I'm just going to get sleepy. That's not fun. Yeah, you're out. You're out to to have a good time. You don't so, want to. Okay, so so you've thought about what you might like to order. You've you've gotten some good advice <laughs> from us. Hopefully, I want to talk about how to order at a bar without being too self conscious about it. This was really flipping hard for me when I was first trying to do it. Really? Yeah, this was so difficult with, and this is an anxiety thing, but I don't think this experience is localized to ex-fundies. When I was bartending a few years back, uh, I was working and this guy came in. He looked really young. Uh, I had to double and triple check his ID. Like I did the UV light thing. I did everything because I was really concerned. And, you know, as far as I used every tool that I had to check out his ID and seemed legit he was just 21 just a baby face yeah just real just real baby face i did check it out extremely thoroughly because i was very worried so he orders and he orders a vodka on the rocks and i Hmm. don't think he had any idea that what he was going to receive was a shot of straight vodka poured over ice without anything else in it was it well vodka did he specify a brand How how did he react when he got it? He reacted in a way that made it clear to me that he had no idea what he was ordering when he ordered it. Yeah, because vodka rocks is an odd drink choice as well. Mm Because usually, yeah, like usually if you're going to just be drinking like vodka, usually people will either order a shot of vodka or they will want it with like soda water or like tonic water or they'll like want a vodka cranberry or a vodka red bull or something right and if you're going to just drink vodka rocks you're probably ordering upscale vodka right like you're ordering like a belvedere or like a a, a gray goose or something right so i i really think that this guy was pretty naive And he Mm. just kind of knew that vodka and rocks were two alcohol-related terms and just kind of spit that out um, and did not really understand what he was getting. Also, though, um, sidebar, vodka cranberry is one of many very good launch pads into drinking, in my opinion. Simple, not ridiculously unhealthy, easy to order. There's a mixer to help keep you hydrated. Anyway, big fan of vodka cranberry. Vodka cranberries are good, and it's it's a good flavor too. Like if you get the, the cranberry, it just can't be too sweet. I just that's, think it's a yeah. good like if if you're looking for like a stepping stone, I think it's I think that's a good stepping stone because it's easy to order, you know, simple, good thing to order in a crowded bar where the bartender is not going to have a lot of time to make you something fancy. So this guy, he order he comes in, he orders. Does he say vodka on the rocks or does he say vodka rocks? I don't remember. It's been a while. That's sort of a thing because I don't like if you're ordering it, like you rarely say the on the right or when you were bartending, how would you hear people say I would like a blank on the rocks or would you just hear people say I would like a blank rocks? I would hear both, but I think like blank rocks is more common. Yeah, because you're just trying to get the order out and, you know, 
get right. the information you need communicated as quickly and efficiently as possible to the person who needs to hear it and take up the smallest amount of their time. Yeah. I guess I don't know if I paid that much attention to like the average order because I don't order anything neat or on the rocks at a bar because I can do that at home. Like same alcohol and it's cheaper. And if I'm going out, like I want a beer that I can't get at home or I want somebody to make me something. See, that makes sense. Like, I, that's why I, it's like same reason I don't go to a restaurant and order a grilled cheese sandwich unless it is a grilled cheese sandwich specialty restaurant. So my personal counterpoint to that is that if I'm drinking at a bar, they're going to have a much wider selection than I would have at my house. So at my house, I've, I've got a dry bar in my living room. I've got decanters and everything. So I've got um, whiskey, gin, vodka, tequila, rum, cognac, all of those but I won't have more than one kind of whiskey at a time. So I'm not going to go out and buy a $78 bottle of scotch. But if I'm at a bar and they have $78 scotch and I can get like one of it for $12 in a glass, that's a good option for me. I'll drink that. I, I would do that and I wouldn't um, and, and, and drink that straight or drink that with rocks. So You're that's okay. fair. Yeah. But in my experience, a glass of $78 scotch is not going to be $12. It's going to be like $18. And like, I'm honestly, I'm not going to buy either one of those things on a regular basis. But if I were going to buy one of those two things, I'd buy the $78 bottle unless I really thought I wouldn't like it. And with scotch, there is a decent chance that you won't like it because that's fair. Scotch is one of those. Yeah, it's one of those alcohols where there's such a big flavor variation. Like yeah. you, you might try like a Dewar's or something, which is, you know, fairly low end, but it's decent. And you're like, okay, that's good. And then you might try like a Lafrog, which is like $65. And it tastes exactly what I would imagine it would taste like if you like liquefied a truck tire, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I guess when it comes to the like gotta try them all kind of way of viewing alcohol, scotch is just not it for me. I'm a lot happier going to the beer festival and trying like two ounces of 20 different kinds of beer or it, like experimenting to try to find a great $15 bottle of wine that's like my new go-to wine if I'm going to somebody's house and they ask me, oh, can you bring a bottle of wine? But that again, it goes back to like finding what you like and not feeling pressured to be somebody that you aren't. But back to back to Vodka Rocks guy, there are, there are easy ways to avoid being that guy. One thing you can do is try to learn some basic terms before you try to order drinks in public. That's not going to help you know what you actually like, though. So I think a better way maybe is to go with a friend and order whatever they're getting. If you do that enough times, you'll get the hang of it. So basic terminology. Usually the first word in whatever your drink order is going to be is going to be what kind of alcohol is in it. So if you want a specific brand of alcohol in your drink, you can replace the name of the kind of alcohol with the brand. So say you want a whiskey with Coke. And the whiskey that you want is Jack Daniels. You can say, can I get a Jack and Coke? 
and they make like 800 Jack and Cokes a night, probably. So they'll make one for you right away. If you don't specify, you're probably going to be drinking well alcohol, which is just the cheapest stuff that they can get away with serving you, which in some cases is fine. Like if you want a whiskey Coke or like a rum and Coke, well alcohol is it'll it'll do you. If you're ordering a vodka Red Bull, then well alcohol will do you. But in some cases, for instance, if you are ordering tequila shots, Never, ever, ever, ever do shots of well tequila. Pay the extra $2 a shot or whatever to to get whatever the, the next cheapest up one is. Well, trust me, it's it's absolutely not worth it to ever get well tequila. Yeah. Not even for the experience. Honestly, my general advice, and maybe this is a little bit, maybe this is slightly pretentious of me. I don't know. But don't drink well anything straight. Except for maybe, like, if you want to do a shot of well vodka, you're probably fine. But the well brand is the cheapest thing that they make. Bars just buy it in bulk, in just cases and cases. And if you don't specify a call brand, a call brand is what um, name brand alcohol is called, like Tito's for vodka or Aviation for Jen or Jack Daniels for whiskey. They're going to just give you well. So a well vodka cranberry or vodka soda or gin and tonic is going to be fine. You're fine. Don't do shots of well. (laughs) That's just, don't do it. There's no reason to. Dude, that's what we used to do in high school. Like the, Uh, um, like, cause we did, like, we didn't always know when we would be able to get more alcohol. So we would just like, if you get a chance to buy alcohol, you just buy the greatest volume of alcohol that you can buy for the least amount of money that you can spend on it. mm -hmm. So we'd end up getting like a handle, um, handle by the way, is a, um, term for like a giant plastic bottle, uh, like a, a a half gallon plastic bottle, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's called a handle because it usually has a handle on it. Um, but we just getting like we just get a handle of HRD and mix it with like orange juice or like cranberry juice or like Sunny D. And mm. yeah, let me. It was mm-hmm. vile. Let me tell you, it was horrible. This is the kind of story that makes me glad I started drinking as an adult. See, this is why I recommend that people start out with beer because. You have to understand and accept the cheap stuff before you can really appreciate the good stuff. Like, in all honesty, like, if you just avoid anything that comes in a plastic bottle, you'll probably be fine. I felt like it was helpful. So, so circling back to, like, drinking as an adult, because the official stance of Leaving Hidden Podcast is that we only support drinking as an adult. Unless you're like a parent giving a kid a sip of their beer, which is previously discussed is fine. I felt like it was helpful for my anxiety to just assign myself a call brand of alcohol for each type of spirits. So when I first started drinking, it was always Bombay gin, which got expensive. Um, it's good gin, though. It is, it is good. Tito's vodka and Crown Royal for whiskey, because I honestly hate Jack Daniels. <laughs> And then as I gained confidence, I branched out a little bit, tried some new brands, found some new favorites. Uh, I will still happily drink a Tito's vodka pineapple anytime. Tito's is a decent brand of vodka, man. They're, it's and not it's usually going to be like the next step up after well, too. So the next thing you need to know when you're ordering a drink is what you want it mixed with. So the most common ones that you're going to get are going to just be like tonic water, soda water, cola... So usually Sprite, orange juice, cranberry juice. 
some bars might have uh, pineapple juice or grapefruit juice or ginger beer on, which is not alcoholic, in cans or behind the bar, but not all bars will have them. Yeah. And also, uh, they'll probably have Red Bull as well. Yeah. So if you want a Red Bull vodka or you want a Red Bull a rum and Red Bull, which people drink sometimes, yeah. not as, yeah, it's not as common awful. as Red Bull vodka. I would um, rather have Jaeger and Red Bull. That's also decent. Okay, here's here's a question. So we talked about like alcohol plus mixer, like whiskey, coke, or vodka soda. How do you feel about ordering famous, like famous, well-known cocktails? Like I don't know, of uh, Sex on the Beach or a Tequila Sunrise or a Moscow Mule or a Martini, like that. How do I feel about it? Like if you like it, then you should go for it. That being said, I've never had a Moscow Mule. Um, oh, dude, you're missing out. Yeah, I've never ordered one. You, What's in it? You are missing out big time. Um, so Moscow Mule is vodka, lime, and ginger beer. It's pretty, <laughs> it's sweet because of the ginger beer, but it's not sugary like uh, Sex on the Beach. And a lot of people will put um, mint in a Moscow Mule as well. I mean, that sounds all right. It's really I, good. Yeah, I don't usually, I don't usually go for sugary stuff unless I'm like making a punch and just trying to just like make something incredibly sweet that's just going to f*** people up uh, for like a party, you yeah. know? No, uh, Moscow meals are really good, and you get they you get the really cool little like copper cup, which is fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that is cool. So I I bring up though the like the famous drinks thing because I think a lot of like what I've seen from all of my experience drinking with Xyz, which is not insignificant. I think that Xyz tend to order like the only drinks that they know the name of, but a lot of times the only drinks that they know the name of are like drinks with sexually charged names because that's what they heard like preached against. <laughs> so, and, and there's a great scene in in Welcome to Plathville of Ethan uh, going to the liquor store and like sex on the beach, buttery nipple. What is this? <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. So like, oh I feel like gosh. that's such a, such an XE experience. That's what to... we have to do for the Instagram post for this episode. <laughs> put that clip on our Instagram. Let's absolutely do that. Oh my God. But I, I just, um, so I want to give some guidance on like ordering like drinks that are like established recipes because I, I, all of the exes that I've ever known have immediately been like, I got to try a sex on the beach. And just so you know, it's a, it's a highly overrated drink. Um, it's cranberry, orange juice, vodka, peach schnapps, which is a hard word for me to say. It's way too sweet. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not that good. So maybe just skip that one. I don't know. Don't let me tell you what to do, but like, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. <laughs> so two things, three things, three things, one Four things five a thousand things um if you enjoy salads that have gummy bears and marshmallows in them then maybe you'd like a sex on the beach i don't know two i've never actually been with anyone who has ordered a sex on the beach like i've never been present for anybody ordering or mm-hmm. drinking one in my life um, I have, but it's pretty uncommon. It's it's not really a, a drink that's in fashion. It's right very now. out of style, yes. It's the kind of thing that you would hear somebody bragging about in like the 80s in like a sitcom or like a movie or something. If it were either good or fashionable, I wouldn't be telling people not to order them, but it is actually neither. I mean, the, the name Sex on the Beach, it just makes me think of sand and how it gets everywhere. 
So my only other point on like well-known drinks established recipes would be uh, don't order a martini as your first drink ever. If you only know the names of a few drinks and martini is one of them, don't make that like your first thing at a bar. Wait until you at least know that you like gin. So I know that a lot of uh, young men are going to come out of fundamentalism and we love that you're coming out of fundamentalism. You're going to start watching movies uh, you're going to start watch, watching classic movies. You're going to watch Sean Connery as James Bond. And you're going to think, oh, he's cool. I'm going to order the same drink that he does. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, which is, in fact, a martini. But if you walk up to the bar and say, I'd like a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred, you're going to sound like a doofus. You really Number are. Number like- <laughs> one, do not say shaken, not stirred. Your bartender will hate you. Also, it is common practice to shake martinis. Um, so if you just order a martini, you're probably going to get a shaken one unless you're at a really nice place that knows better because martinis should technically never be shaken. If you absolutely have to order a vodka martini because you really have to be James Bond on that day, just order a vodka martini. Just say, I'll have a vodka martini, please. And that's it. Yeah, I've had I mean, I've had both shaken and stirred and I personally like I'm not a connoisseur. I can't really tell the difference. Oh, I can tell you the difference. So <laughs> taste wise or like it's texture. If it's huh. if it's shaken too much, the alcohol gets bruised and bruised means that tiny, almost invisible slivers of ice end up in your drink. You can't really see them, but you can feel them when you drink it. And it also waters. It's, it means there's more water in your drink than there should be. So you're not really getting the full flavor of the gin or vodka that it's made with. I mean, that, that's the thing. I can't tell. I really can't. I've had it both ways. I, I really can't tell. But this is a good jumping off point to a different topic because martini, as we know, we've all heard of it. It's a classic drink. And it's a drink that there are also many variations of. So a sure. martini, yeah, martini uh, classically has two main ingredients. One is a spirit which is either gin or vodka. So you can have a gin martini or a vodka martini. But gin is the standard. Yeah. Vodka is the variation. So if you ask for a martini, they're going to make it with gin unless you specify vodka. Right. The other ingredient is vermouth, which is, it's a, it's like a kind of wine. I don't th- like, I don't think I've ever seen anybody drink vermouth straight. I would hope not. <laughs> It's uh, the only time I've ever seen anybody you like drink vermouth is in a martini, but there are definitely different varieties of vermouth. Like there's sweet vermouth, there's dry vermouth. I believe I may be wrong about this. If you hear somebody saying I like a dry martini, they're talking about the the dry vermouth, right? Is that no. what that means? I really? Get to, I get to be the act, but actually guy here. We so- look for it. Vermouth is a fortified wine. So it is a wine with extra ingredients added that's more concentrated than wine that you would like drink out of a wine glass. You're right that people don't really drink it outside of mixed drinks. Um, It's not meant to be drunk straight. It doesn't taste very good by itself. It has uses in cooking, but cooking and mixed drinks are pretty much all it's used for. It's like sherry. People don't drink sherry, but people cook with it. Right. Right. You cook with it. Um, However, martinis don't use sweet vermouth. A mixed drink with sweet vermouth is a completely different drink. All martinis that have vermouth in them have dry vermouth. A wet martini has more 
vermouth compared to gin. A dry martini has less of a ratio, like less vermouth and more gin. Fascinating. A regular martini might have, and it's not very much vermouth in it ever. So a regular martini might have half an ounce of vermouth to an ounce and a half of gin or vodka. A dry martini might have a quarter ounce of vermouth to an ounce and three quarters of gin or vodka. See how the ratio changed? And then a very dry or extra dry martini might only have a few drops of vermouth and almost two ounces of gin or vodka. So if you're drinking extra dry, you're basically just drinking straight gin or vodka in a martini glass. So for an extra dry martini, you put a couple drops of vermouth in the glass and you rinse the glass with the vermouth. You coat the inside of the glass and then you just pour out whatever drops are left of the vermouth. So it's it's a it's a it's gin in a glass that has been coated with vermouth. And then yet another permutation of this drink, you can have it either with a twist or you can have it served to you with olives. Yeah. A twist is a twist of citrus peel, usually lemon peel. Don't eat it. It's not dangerous or anything. You're just you're going to look like a noob. Don't don't do, don't do that. Um, I don't know, you're going to just look like super drunk. Like this guy's so drunk, he's eating the twist of the bottom of his martini glass. <laughs> if you get a martini that is served with an olive, you can eat it if you want. You'll probably look kind of silly, but if you're not like if you're on a date, don't do it. But if you're not particularly trying to impress anybody go ahead whatever you want if you like olives man go for it i don't care so here's here's general guidance if the garnish on your drink is a thing that you would normally eat like a pineapple wedge or a cherry or some other kind of fruit as opposed to citrus peel or a slice of citrus with the peel on or a herb of some kind like rosemary or whatever If it's something that you would normally eat, you can eat it if you want to. It might not be the most socially acceptable depending on where you are. So be mindful of your social situation. If you're in a dive bar, knock yourself out. If you're at like some kind of charity function with rich people, maybe don't. Oh, no, I would do it at the charity function with rich people. I'm just like, I'm out here vibing. You can't (laughs) tell me what to do. (laughs) I I have been to very, very few charity functions with rich people in my drinking career. (laughs) Been to more than none. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, you went to college, so. (laughs) Yeah, they they try to get money out of you every time. They try to get money out of you, and they try to make you pay for beer at the reunion bar. You went to to a private private college, which I also did, but you went to a private college that is actually accredited, (laughs) where you got an actual degree. And yet there is another permutation to the drink uh, that the martini can take which is that you can so if your favorite part of the martini is the olive then what you can do is you can order what's called a dirty martini which means that it's got olive juice about you so if like this is for people who worship chaos uh (laughs) this is this is for um is it that chaotic i I think I like dirty martinis. I think a dirty martini is like the type of drink that like Cruella DeVille would would drink. Oh, yeah, it is. But they're great. I mean, I find them to be vile and disgusting, but I know that some people love them. I enjoy sweeter drinks, but I also like really, really herbal gin. So I think it makes sense that I would like dirty martinis. No, that that makes sense. I mean, we just have different tastes. 
And then on top of that, there is the vast number of drinks that have teeny on the end of them. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but those are not martinis. No, they're not martinis. They're usually just sweet or sugary drinks that happen to be served to you in a martini glass. Um, And whatever prefix precedes the suffix teeny is what that drink will taste like. So if you drink an apple teeny, that will be made with apple flavored vodka and it will taste like apples. A chocolate teeny will taste like chocolate. Uh, A a crayon teeny will taste like cranberries. I don't know why you would order a crayon teeny when you could just order a Cosmo, but whatever. Yeah. Just, just a word to the wise one like espresso martini or chocolate teeny. Uh, one is a great idea. More than one is a recipe for disaster. Just trust me on this one. <laughs> Just trust me. Yeah. Just take my word for it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess what this all comes down to is that there is a world of variation just in the martini, but you don't have to know all of this to order one. If it's fun to you to learn about all this, it's fun to me. This is an interest of mine. There's tons on YouTube to learn. And if it's fun to you to learn it, go for it. But you do not have to understand all of the different permutations of a martini to try one, if that's something that you want to do. And the great thing about going out and drinking at a bar is that you can go there and they will have all of the different alcohols and they'll be able to make your martini in all of the different ways that you could possibly want. And you can figure out what kind that you like so that you can go and you can remember that and specify that. Um, The other thing that you can do is if you say, oh, I want to drink a martini, I want to try this drink, and I don't know what I would like, you can just go to the bartender and say, I'd like a martini. And if they ask you to specify what you'd like, you can just say, surprise me. And if you like it, you can ask them what was in it. And if you don't, uh, you can also ask them what was in it. And so you know that you won't get that next time. Just don't order a martini with well spirits. Like maybe if you want a martini, go to a martini bar. You can. So on the topic, though, of asking the bartender to surprise you, you can beat the anxiety by asking the bartender if they have any drink that they really enjoy making. Or if there's like a bar specialty or a cocktail menu, like ordering off of that, that's that's a thing that that maybe can help cut down the anxiety. This could be a bit of a risky move because I've done this personally and I've been pleasantly surprised. I've also done this and ended up with something that I did not enjoy at all and ended up paying like $22 for. I feel like that's on a bad bartender, though, because when I was bartending, if somebody asked me for a surprise me drink... I knew our prices inside and out, and I would never make something more than like $10. I would also like lead them down the road. Okay, can we actually role play this? Can you ask? So I'll be the bartender and you ask me for to surprise you. Yeah, okay. That sounds okay. great. Hey, what can I get you? Oh, you know what? I'm feeling a little chancy today. Why don't you make me something special? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, so do you like any kind of alcohol that you don't drink? I'm not a huge fan of spiced rum. Okay, fair. Neither am I. I can do that. Uh, do you like citrusy drinks? Sometimes. Uh, do you want something bubbly or not bubbly? Not bubbly. Not bubbly. Citrusy. Uh, how do you feel about like creamsicle kind of drinks? Like stuff that's like creamy and and citrusy. That doesn't sound like what I'm going for on this. Uh, but okay. thank you for offering. Okay. Uh, do you, do you, how do you feel about whiskey? You want a whiskey drink? Whiskey sounds good. Let's do that. Okay. What brand do you want? Uh, mm, Buffalo Trace. Okay. 
So with that information as the bartender, I could probably get you something in the realm of like a, an old fashioned with a citrus garnish. And that would be a delicious drink that I would very much enjoy. Yeah. So like when I was bartending, I would like lead them down. Like, do you like citrus? Do you want bubbly or not bubbly? Do you want something super sweet? And then like based off of that, I would narrow down and make a variation on a drink that I already knew how to make. Yeah. And then like mm. the customer would get something fun and special and customized, but it would be something that they're more likely to like. I cannot recommend doing this at a busy bar. <laughs> do not. If the bartender looks stressed, if they're making like five drinks at a time, do not do this. Don't ask them to surprise you. Just get yourself a vodka crayon. <laughs> Just like, please do not be this person. But if the like if you're in if you're at a bar on like a slow afternoon and the bartender is polishing the same thing for like the fourth time because they're bored, a lot of bartenders would really enjoy making something new or fun for you. So know your know the room, read the room. Uh, I had when I was bartending, I had one really slow, really slow afternoon that will live in infamy because <laughs> somebody was hanging out with like three friends. I think there are four people total. And they just kept Googling like weirdest shots and then asking for weird shots. Um, so I made, I remember on that day, I made oatmeal cookie shots. I made atomic bomb shots and I made flaming Bob Marley shots, which are really fun. What's a flaming Bob Marley shot? Uh, it is banana liqueur, grenadine, um, creme de menthe, and 151. And it's a layered shot. So you like pour each thing over the back of the spoon. And of course, banana liqueur is yellow. Grenadine is red. Creme de menthe is green. So it makes the Jamaican flag. Or is that just the Rasta flag? Uh, or like might Rasta be the, colors. Yeah, it might be Rastafari. It might not be the... Yeah. Anyway, it's like, you know, like people who wear like Rasta hats. They're red, green, and yellow. Yeah. Was it good? Did you um, try it? It's very... Yeah, I did try it. Um... Obviously did not have a whole shot because I was bartending, but I did like the straw thing. It actually kind of tastes like a banana split because those are all high sugar alcohols or high sugar things. Creme de menthe, grenadine, and... Yeah, it's mint, cherry, and banana. It's very sweet, but like it was fun. Uh, don't ask your bartender for surprise or complicated drinks if they are busy, like if you're at a club where they're just slinging drinks over the bar, please do not do this. But uh, if your bartender looks bored, this might be something that would actually be really fun for them and leave a really big tip because this is a heck of a mess to clean up. Yeah. If you're uh, at the bar and it's busy, don't order a mojito. Just don't. It's no, just don't. Don't do it. They got a mashed up for that one. Mojitos are delicious and wonderful. Do not order one at a busy bar. So uh, there's a lot of different kinds of drinks and, and cocktails out there, and they all serve kind of different purposes. You know, like martini, as we discussed earlier, that serves the purpose. I guess if you're drinking that, you're drinking that to, to highlight the flavor of whatever alcohol it is you're drinking. Another good example of this, like a, a, a classic whiskey drink, like a Manhattan. And then there are drinks that the purpose of which is to hide the flavor of alcohol in order to make it as easy as possible to consume as much alcohol as possible. And I think one example of this that we really have to address, because it's one that people will have heard of, so they're going to order it, is the Long Island iced tea. Oh, man. I wonder if this, if ordering Long Island iced teas is another ex-fundy thing, like this is the only drink name I know 
because that is dangerous. Well, you know, I'm sure they, a lot of them, you know, they're Southern, they're Midwestern, they grew up on sweet tea. Or, mm-hmm. And you're going to, if you think it's tea. Yeah. And so they grew, they grew up drinking iced tea. Like and there's many drinks mm. that hide the, the flavor of alcohol with sugar or mix or whatever. But the Long Island iced tea is a drink, which I don't know how it works. It's like weird alcohol science, um, but they hide the flavor of alcohol by mixing every alcohol together and it tastes like none of them and you can just drink it. But I can tell you how they hide it. So really? yeah, so I'm just spilling all the the bartender secrets on this apparently. <laughs> so a Long Island iced tea is half an ounce each of vodka, gin, rum, tequila, whiskey, and and then whatever amount of Coke to fill up the to the top of the glass. What you are missing in your equation that you don't realize is the thing that makes it taste good is triple sec. Uh, triple sec is an extremely sweet orange flavored alcohol. Yeah, so a Long Island iced tea is an extremely alcoholic drink that tastes kind of like cream soda. That's the triple sec. That's what makes it taste good because it's super, super sweet and is super strong orange flavor. What you have to know about a Long Island is if it is legal to serve doubles in your area. So some states, it is legal to serve double drinks, which is three ounces of alcohol as opposed to one and a half ounces, which is a standard drink. Or if in your state it is legal to serve someone two drinks at a time, in some states that's legal, in some states it's not. But if it is legal in your area, your Long Island iced tea is going to be a double by default. It is not one drink. It is two drinks. It is a lot of alcohol. (laughs) It is the direct equivalent to ordering two of anything else on the menu. So two beers or two glasses of wine or two shots of vodka. The other thing that you should know about Long Island is that if you really want to drink a Long Island, you might as well just order an AMF. It is the same amounts and same kinds of alcohol, but it's Sprite instead of Coke and it's Blue Curacao instead of Triple Sec. It's essentially the same thing, but it looks cooler and tastes better. Yeah, man, I've tried to buy, uh, I've tried to order a Long Island iced tea at the karaoke bar by my house, and they don't serve them because they just cause too much trouble. If, like, if you're drinking Long Island's something. I genuinely think people do not understand that it is a double. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to get yourself into trouble with, with things like this, which is why it's a perfect time for us to talk about personal safety. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you may find. Welcome been, to the Leaving Eden after school special. Well, this is, this is after half after school, half after dark. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that all of our episodes? That is all of our, that's like our, our theme. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as uh, you may find, as many do, that alcohol can have an immediate acute effect of reducing your anxiety. That being said, it is definitely not a good way to manage your emotions and it should not be used as such. Don't do it. Absolutely not. So to draw a line of what's generally considered healthy, it's fine to enjoy the anxiety reducing effects of alcohol especially in social situations. It's fine to enjoy it, but if you feel like you need alcohol to socialize or to manage chronic anxiety or to manage life stress or to process life events, that's a really big red flag. Irresponsible drinking 
in like at least in my experience, everyone's different. It rarely means the immediate damage to your physical health. It is more likely to mean that you're getting yourself into a situation due to impaired judgment or or being somewhere that you can't leave or being in a vulnerable vulnerable position or being around people that aren't trustworthy because you have impaired judgment and you're mm-hmm. doing other stuff that's wrong. But like we talked about in the dating episode, if you have come out of fundamentalism, you might not have a good concept of what a safe situation is. If you were told the inside world is perfectly safe and the outside world is terribly dangerous, and then you realize that the inside world is not safe and the outside world isn't as dangerous as you were told it is, it really, really f***s up your ability to gauge what is and isn't safe and who is and isn't safe. Like for dating... I recommend having a safety plan that will get you through the time period while you're figuring stuff out, while you work on your internal sense of safety. Like we said before, it's never your fault if somebody else victimizes you. Whether that means they stole your phone or stole your wallet or violated your bodily autonomy, it's not your fault. It's never your fault. It is the fault of a person who chose to do a terrible thing. But that being said, there are reasonable things you can do to make yourself harder for anyone with bad intentions to target and to set yourself up for the best chance of having good experiences. Drinking is not a zero risk activity, but you can reduce the risk. So you can cover your drink with your hand. You cannot accept open drinks from strangers. If you're going to a crowded bar, you can go with friends, especially if you are a woman or a feminine person or an LGBT person. Don't leave your drink unattended. Don't leave your drink on the bar without somebody watching it like a hawk and and just like go to the bathroom and then come back and drink that. Don't do that. And have a plan on how you are going to safely get home if you are going to someplace that isn't your home to drink. Yeah, and this is why I, I like to live in a place near bars where I like to drink because that way, you know, if you're walking somewhere, then it can reduce a lot of the issues that you could run into with, with transportation and, and, and getting away from maybe a bad situation. Yes, but if you're anything other than a cis man, I don't recommend walking home alone if you're highly intoxicated. This is a, such a shitty reality, and I do not want to have to give this advice. You know, um, so you're a Reddit person. You know how on Ask Reddit, like every few months or so, that'll come up this like rash of questions. Like if you uh, if you woke up in the body of the air quotes opposite gender, uh, what would you do? Yeah, and everyone's just like, look at my boobs in the mirror. Like, yeah, all, all of the cis men are like, uh, boobs. And all of the and all of the cis women and AFAB people are like, um, safety? I would love to have some safety. Like every time I think about every time that question comes up, the biggest thing that I would love to do is drink at a bar and walk home by myself. That would be so cool. But that's not depending on your area and how far you're walking and how intoxicated you are, this may not be safe if you are an AFAB person or a queer presenting person. So I would have to suggest that you make a plan on how you get home. So that plan could include limiting how much you're going to drink and sticking to it, or having a designated driver, using rideshare, calling a cab, walking, having people around you who you can all get to the same home location as a group. Um, There are a lot of different options, but I beg you, if you're going to drink, don't drink and drive. The last thing that I want is for you to get out of a cult and then end up dead or in jail because of this. 
and I know that every single person has heard this exact same message one million times, but there is no way that in good conscience, I could make an entire episode about drinking and not say it. That's just irresponsible. Also, you know that as soon as like if you got out of a cult and then you died in like a drunk driving accident, you know that the people from your your home fundy church would just be like, this is why you don't leave the IFB. Like that's that's right. Like, don't become a sermon illustration. You are worth so much more than that. Survive out of spite if you have to. Yeah, that's that's how we've been doing it. The Jews. That's why we're still alive. Purely out of spite. And that's why we're best friends, because I am also surviving out of spite. Just different things that I'm surviving. Yeah. Um, no, like th- now that there's ride sharing apps, there's really no excuse for it. Um, right. And those may not be available in every single location. But if there's any doubt about whether you're safe to drive, if someone around you isn't a safe person, just call an Uber, call a cab. Your life is not worth, even if a cab is expensive, your life is not worth it. If you are at a bar and you are not able to access rideshare, pro tip, your bartender can usually help you call a cab. And Sometimes bars will have deals with local cab companies where they will people who get picked up from there get a little bit of a discount. But any bartender should always be able to call you a local cab company. They will like cab com- having worked as a bartender, representatives from local cab companies would come in and leave us swag with their phone number on them so that we would be incentivized to call for people who needed a ride. And your bartender may also know what cab companies have a reputation for being really safe, If especially if you are a AFAB or LGBT person who is by themselves. You can also, if the bar is a safe place, you can try staying at the bar but not drinking for an hour or two. Eating something can help. Again, stay somewhere an extra hour if it gets you home safely. Getting home an hour earlier is not worth your life. I also recommend um, seeing if you run into an unsafe situation while at a bar, somebody else there is bugging you. If there's security, tell security. If there's a bartender, tell the bartender. Uh, They should be trained on how to help keep you safe in that situation. A lot of bars, if you ask the bartender for an angel shot, they will understand that that means that you need help. If you are, if somebody's like hanging over your shoulder and you can't say something safely, that is a one thing that you can do as part of a safety plan. I also recommend if you are driving to a bar, look up the laws in your state about being intoxicated while in a vehicle. In some states, it is legal to chill out in your car if you're intoxicated and you just need to wait like an hour or two to be able to drive home safely. In some states, you can sit in the car with the keys and the ignition and the car on. As long as it's in park, you're fine. In some states, you can get a DUI for that without ever taking your car out of park. In some states, you can be in the car and the keys can be in the car as long as the keys are not in the ignition. In other states, the keys have to be in the trunk for this to be legal. So, there are there's a lot of very weird nuance on state laws, but know what you're allowed to do in your state. In some states, it is perfectly legal to like get in your car and, and take a nap. And then when you wake up, drive home. And this doesn't just apply to bars. But if you're ever in like a situation where you just don't feel comfortable with what's going on, like say you go over to your friend's house to watch uh, a football game, you're drinking some beers or something, and then you're more people come over later in the evening and you're having a good time. And then somebody's like, hey, let's all smoke salvia and then go steal Gatorade from the Walmart warehouse. And everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to go do that. You can leave. That's fine if you want to leave before everyone decides to do that what is the the crime junkie tagline isn't it be weird be rude stay alive 
Yes. Stay yeah. alive is the big one, you know? Yeah. Like, pe- people are going to have to learn to be rude when your safety is on the line. And frankly, if they're trying to steal Gatorade from the Walmart warehouse, they're the weird ones. Yeah. yeah. And the rude ones. That's that's fairly rude. <laughs> yeah. I Like, I know it, it may be expensive. And this is this is another thing to think about. It may be a bit expensive to plan to take an Uber or take a Lyft somewhere or take a cab somewhere. But if you go out drinking... I think that you should also prepare to accidentally spend more money than you originally intended. Mm. So yeah. So like, like getting yourself a ride home is worse. It, 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 like, is that worse than waking up to find out that you ordered Taco Bell from Uber Eats at two in the morning and it paid like $26? <laughs> like, this is yeah. This is a distinct possibility. You might be just like, oh man, I'm super drunk. It's two a.m. What's open? The kebab shop. Oh man, let me get like th- great time. A of I all. don't know how you're actually getting Taco Bell from Uber Eats in our neighborhood. Every time I order from the Taco Bell in our neighborhood, it gets messed up somehow. Like their online ordering system isn't working or the drive through is inexplicably closed at 8 p.m. at night for no reason. Dude, I tried to get T-Bell the other night uh, coming home and their drive through. They're like, yeah, sorry, we closed at 11 and it was like 12. And I was just like, what the fuck? It says on the sign open until 2 a.m. or later. That's four. Yeah, is usually four. when the one in our neighborhood closes. Nobody wants to work anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. No, the the Taco Bell in our neighborhood is just super unreliable. No, the Taco Bell by our house is super f***ed up. Like one time, like you can order with black beans or you can order with refried beans. Um, But like one time I ordered with black beans and there was a legit two beans in my Crunchwrap. It it was so messed up. I'm just like, what is even in here? It was all just like lettuce and like the tomatoes and like it was just it was not very I just feel like they are probably really bad to their workers because it's never the same person there so it's kind of on ownership probably yeah and like with the economy the way it is are you going to try to work at Taco Bell you can make more money driving Uber Eats than you can working at Taco Bell yeah you know like okay you ready to go back to the episode and finish it finish it up yeah um but if you are waking up more than like once or twice and finding out that you ordered Taco Bell and you don't remember doing it, this is a good time to reevaluate how much you're drinking and whether it's time to not do that. But getting blackout more than everybody gets blackout a few times when they're learning the ropes, which is why I'm telling you to have a safety plan and don't go places by yourself when you're first learning. Because I don't, I don't know of anybody who hasn't accidentally got blackout when they were learning how to drink. Nobody does it on purpose unless they're like, right. Like it's just kind of an experience that like, you don't know what's going to do that until you find out, which is why you absolutely must make a safety plan and then like have people who will take care of you. Everybody is going to accidentally do this a couple times, but if this is happening to you, once you've had some experience on any kind of regular basis, this is a huge red flag. Like, you need to reevaluate this. Yeah, this is true. I, I think when they're like when there start to be lasting consequences or or things worse than just oh man, I feel like shit this morning. You know, like m- maybe it's time to start reevaluating. You know. So if you or somebody that you love does find yourself in the position of needing to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol, I could I cannot say enough. 
check out the documentary One Little Pill. Even if you like think maybe maybe this is a problem, maybe this isn't a problem. Um, One Little Pill is primarily about a drug called naltrexone and how it works. But it also goes really deep into the psychology of alcohol abuse and alcohol overuse uh, or dependence. It goes into why people become dependent and the psychology of it. And it's really affirming because it's not like, oh, you're a bad person because you drink too much. Because I just I don't believe in that. Some people drink too much because they are a bad person. But nobody is a, is a bad person solely because they got over their head with any substance. That is not what makes you a bad person. <laughs> so the documentary is called One Little Pill. It's on Amazon Prime, but it's in other places that you can that you can pay like four dollars to watch it as well. It's it goes into this drug called naltrexone and how naltrexone treatment works. It opens your eyes to options, ways of treating alcohol dependency that people do not know exist. I had no idea this existed until I watched the documentary. I know that groups and 12-step programs can be truly helpful to some people. And if they've helped you, great. But there are so many more options. I think people have this idea in their head that like, if you get over your head with alcohol, if you end up dependent uh, or abusing alcohol, well, you either go into rehab or you go into a 12-step group. And that's just not at all accurate. Uh, there are a ton of more ways that people can get help. And naltrexone is one of them. It's an option that has worked for somebody that I care about. And they have truly had great results from that. So before we closed it out, I just wanted to shout out that documentary because it has really made a difference for people that I know and love. But I hope this has been fun for <clears throat> listeners. I had a really good time. Clearly, alcohol is an interest of mine and I love talking about it. I hope that you have had a good time just kind of going down this road with us. But I also hope especially if you're newer to the world of drinking, that it's been informative and it's given you some tools to approach this the way that you want to. Anyway, if uh, so next week, what do we have next week? Next week we are uh, doing, we're talking about summer camp. That's going to oh, be yeah. fun. Yeah. So Sadie's going to talk all about the, the Jesus summer camp that she went to. Um, I watched the movie Jesus. I watched the first 25 minutes of the movie Jesus camp. I couldn't get through it. It was triggering to me, even though I was never raised in fundamentalism. But we're going to talk about uh, Bible summer camp. It's going to be super fun. Uh, it's going to be super awesome. Um, so stay tuned for that next week. Um if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. Um, you follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram at leaving Eden podcast on Twitter at leaving Eden pod. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell yes, Sadie, on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. Yeah. And if there's anything that you think that you want to know, uh, like how to do, you're getting out of fundamentalism, you want to learn how to do it. I, we're doing more of these episodes, uh, and we kind of think maybe if we get enough questions from listeners, we'll. 
uh, do a listener questions episode, but we, we're just not sure if we're going to get enough of them right now. Um, so if you want to ask us a question, it is going to be leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. <clears throat> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.